What else does people over profit mean to you? It's kind of a belief that I have where I believe that when we focus on serving people and that those people would include your team members and the staff and the culture, as well as the patients, as well as the community that you reside with, then if you focus on serving them at the highest level and putting that over the profits, what will actually happen is that in the long run, you will actually be more successful. You will actually be more profitable as a business and as an organization. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode on the Happy Practice Playbook. I'm Mo Jones, and in each episode of the show, you'll hear conversations with dentists, office managers, staff, and specialists who know how to create a happy practice. Today, we're joined by Dr. Sharus Yazdani, a dentist in Ottawa who's also a multi-location practice owner with over 20 years of experience. Welcome, Dr. Yazdani. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on on the show today, Mo. We're excited that you are our first Canadian dentist and practice owner on here. So, oh, Canada, here we are. <laughs> Wonderful. I, I, I feel blessed that, uh, that I get to be the first. It's, it's a good time, you know. It, this is a good first to be, too. A good first. Definitely. Um, <laughs> so, as our listeners know, we always like to start our show with a fun little statistic. And today, the statistic is 98% of clinics say that their front office technology plays a crucial role in delivering a great patient experience. So for you, how has office technology helped you improve your patient experience? So I would say that probably uh, the number one way that, uh, you know, front office sort of technology has improved is really just the, um, the automation in terms of the uh, scheduling as well as the confirmation process. So, um, it's made it much more easier for patients to be able to keep track of their appointments because we have sort of um, this automated system that will go into the scheduling system to, to see whose appointments are coming up. And then we can set that up um, for them to get reminders. So I think, um, you know, they can get a reminder five days before, three days before the day of. Um, and so I think in that respect, it's really helped, you know, especially, you know, we live in a world where there's just so, you know, we're all so busy with so many different things and we've got a thousand different things on our calendars and really keeping all of that straight can be really challenging. And so it's, it's really helpful to have a system that can help them remind it that automates that process. So once that appointment is scheduled, it'll automatically um, help remind them of those appointments so that they're less likely to miss them. So I would say that's probably the number one way in which um, technology has helped. Um, now, just for clarity, when you say front office technology, are you referring to sort of things related to sort of the reception or all technology within the? I, I would say all technology, which also brings me to another question. Is there a line of there being too much technology incorporated in your office that would that would make a negative customer or patient experience? Um, I would say that um, th there's always a, a fine balance with technology. And so I think it, in many ways it has really helped and especially for patient communication. So, you know, if I have a patient in the chair and they have a broken tooth to be able to so show them on an intraoral camera, 
and show them the, the image um, is, is super helpful for them to understand the scope of, of uh, the issue at hand and help them you know, understand why it's important to, to make that treatment. The same thing goes with digital x-rays. So, you know, with digital x-rays, the advantage of that gives us is that we can actually blow up the x-ray and, and put it on the screen. And so all of operatories, we do have, you know, uh, three screens in every operatory. We've got one sort of at the rear where, um, you know, the doctor or the, the hygienist or the assistant makes their notes. Um, there's a screen that's in front of the patient where we can swing the x-rays, swing the photographs so we can show the patient. And then we have a screen on, on the ceiling when they're lying back so they can watch Netflix and things like that. So um, the advantage of, of digital x-rays is that we can take an x-ray and, and sort of blow it up and really sort of, you know, show them, you know, um, where there is a cavity or where there's issues. Whereas, you know, and again, this is, you know, it's obviously been quite a while that we've had digital x-rays, but a lot of offices still are using the film x-rays. And so, um, you know, with film, they're tiny little film that the cavities are so small that it's hard to really sort of show patients, you know, where the problem lies. And I think even from a diagnostic standpoint, we're able to catch things that's really with a small x-ray, you know, uh, regular x-ray you wouldn't be able to catch. So I think in that respect also, the quality of the service to our patients has significantly increased. So it sounds like whether it's in the front of the office or the back of the office, you, the technology that you incorporate and use is really fundamental to your patient experience and uh, informing them whether it's their appointment time or what's going on in their mouth, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And even for when it comes to treatment as well, because again, with, with um, sort of more later technologies we have, as far as uh, scanning instead of taking impressions. So, you know, in the past, and again, we still do take impressions uh, in, in a lot of cases, but more and more we, we can do more digital scans. So that's less sort of, of that goopy stuff in your mouth. And so that, that makes the patient comfort part a little bit better. Um, it sometimes can increase some of the predictability of outcomes. Um, and also for communication with the laboratory so that we get a better product at the end, that certainly helps that end of it as well. And I would say one final area where, you know, we've recently incorporated in terms of technology, in terms of serving our patients is as it relates to sleep apnea. So sleep apnea is a significant um, medical condition that 80% of sleep apnea cases are undiagnosed. And no one's really um, screening for those. No one's really checking for those because it's something that um, the symptoms of sleep apnea are often things like, you know, high blood pressure and, you know, heart disease and all these things. And those are the things that get treated, but the underlying causes is, is often not diagnosed. And so dentists can actually be at the forefront because, you know, we're in the oral environment and we can see signs that of potentially that there might be sleep apnea. And now there are there is technology where we can actually um, do measurements of their airways so that if we're going to treat the sleep apnea with appliances, we can create the optimal appliance for that. Um, and also we can actually send patients home with home sleep studies um, that actually measures their sleep and they return that. And then we can assess whether they actually have sleep apnea. So that's another way where the, the advancement in technology has allowed us to bring more services to our patients and to increase the value for our patients. I, I always find it so cool and fascinating. And I think as someone who is not in this field all the time, I often forget how many things 
can be looked at or diagnosed or treated through through just like a simple, you know, dental visit, right? And I think especially with the times that we're in, it's becoming more crucial to not necessarily um, practitioners have to be comprehensive, but to kind of open up and be like, Hey, we, we do way, way more. It's still important. We do way more than just your cleanings and your fillings and things like that. We can help with an array of things and help people get to their overall health, which I, I think is so, I always just, I'm always amazed. I'm like, it makes sense. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course you, you would be able to kind of like help with sleep apnea because of what it deals with and, and with technology being able to help facilitate that. So you, you don't have a patient that has to go to three different care providers, um, to help with one thing, which I think is super awesome. And I'm, I'm all for minimizing visits, um, to places. If I can get yeah. the more I can get done in one visit, the better. <laughs> and I think a lot of patients probably feel that way too. <laughs> And, and particularly the challenge with sleep apnea is that it's often undiagnosed because most people aren't even aware of it. And what's interesting about the oral environment is that there are signs within the mouth that are suggestive of sleep apnea. So we can detect those early signs. And typically when someone goes to see their physician, they're generally, you know, other than if they have a sore throat, they're not looking their mouth and they're not really, they're not really trained to know what to look for uh, as potential signs for sleep apnea. So I think, Again, coupling the, the knowledge that's, you know, that we can bring in, in as dentists in terms of the oral environment and noticing certain changes uh, to some of the technology that's out there, we can really bring that tremendous service to our patients. Because again, it's not typically, you know, people don't typically go to their doctor saying, you know, I have sleep apnea. Right. So, and um, I, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a philosophy of people over profit. And it sounds like, especially even with just incorporating the technology that you do, that it really is focused on the people and, you know, helping them. So furthermore, what, what else does people over profit mean to you? So to me, what it is, is, you know, um, it's kind of a, a belief that I have and, and a philosophy that I have that I'm trying to sort of create this model where I believe that when we focus on serving people and that those people would include your team members and the staff and the culture, as well as the patients, as well as the community that you reside with, then if you focus on serving them at the highest level and putting that over the profits, what will actually happen is that in the long run, you will actually be more successful. You will actually be more profitable as a business um, and as an organization. And so, you know, especially in an environment where everything is sort of based on, you know, stock values and, you know, profit is, is really, I mean, the, the, the main philosophy of most businesses is really, you know, uh, profits over people. And so, you know, businesses have no trouble just laying off mass numbers of people because, hey, this year we didn't hit the profits that we wanted. So we're just going to cut, cut, cut which in the short run might help their profitability and increase profits. But I believe in the long run, the harm that it does not only to people, but also to the organization in terms of the trust of the organization, in terms of loyalty to the organization, all of those things get eroded. And in the long run, those companies will, um, will actually suffer. So the idea behind, uh, behind people over profits is, number one, this understanding that, first of all, we want to serve, be serving people. And if we put our focus on people over profits, then by taking care of the people, the profits will actually follow. 
So, and I think so our listeners, maybe ad- adopting a philosophy and a model of people for profit can be really daunting and a little scary. So how would you recommend or advise those who are wanting to start to do that? Where can they start? So <clears throat> I would say that um, it's probably a combination thing. So number one, I think starting with a, a vision and, and really, you know, one of the things that, that I've found has been really critical in this process because there are going to be downs. There are going to be times where you're going to really struggle and, and you're going to be sort of tempted to get pulled into that direction of, okay, I, I'm just going to, you know, and again, profitability is super important for business. The business can't function and, and grow if it's not profitable. So, so we can't neglect that aspect of it. So, you know, certainly educating yourself on those things and learning as much as you can about how to grow your business, how to, um, you know, manage costs and all of those things are super critical. So I think those are skill sets that should be focused on. But then beyond that, to really have a vision uh, greater than just the success of the business. So a, a vision of impact for me has been really helpful because once you have sort of this vision of, of impact um, beyond just the business, um, what it does is it allows you to sort of get through those scary times and to overcome that because you now have this grand vision of, okay, well, if I want to have this level of impact, I'm going to have to deal with the stress of, you know, the cash flow that I'm going to have this year when I make these investments to grow and, and so forth. So I think that would probably be one of the number one things. Um, and the second one is, you know, what's really helped me grow my businesses is just connecting with, you know, I worked with a con- uh, company called uh, Scheduling Institute for the last 10 or 11 years. Um, and that has been transformational for my business um, and for my life in, in every aspect. And so, you know, for the first 10 or 12 years of, of my life, uh, of my uh, uh, practice life, you know, I hadn't really grown and developed. It was just kind of, you know, it was just kind of, you know, it was okay. I was doing fine. I wasn't sort of suffering, but it wasn't really substantial. Um, and what I realized was that it was because I was close to the idea of learning new things. And so I think, you know, one of the, the biggest things for me that has helped me sort of uh, grow the practices and evolve is to recognize that I don't know everything there is to know and that there are people out there with the skill sets and knowledge that I can learn from. Um, and if I apply those things, I can have a dramatic impact uh, in my life. So that's probably the number one thing that I would say is, is have the humility to recognize that, um, especially as it relates to business and business growth, we have zero training coming out of dental school. On that. We have zero knowledge about that stuff. And so just being open to, you know, the fact that, yeah, you know, maybe there's, there's knowledge out there and people that I could learn from that will help me sort of just transform my business. So, and this is kind of, we're, we'll backtrack a little bit, but it'll come full circle. So we had talked about technology and how it elevates the patient experience and makes it better. And then talk about people for profit. So that technology really puts the focus on the patient. So what about uh, we have a, if any of our listeners, if they're trying to do that, but they're like, hey, I have to make a profit to afford this technology. So how can they find that balance to find to find to find that pay, develop? Or let me reword that. Oof. How can they find that balance to elevate the patient experience and put them over profit while still being able to maintain the things they need to create that elevated patient yeah. experience? So so my. Uh, 
um, my basic belief on technology, you know, like I, my office probably isn't at the forefront of all the technology that's out there. And I'll, I'll be quite honest and frank about it. Um, and the reason is that I think that the safe thing to, for practice owners to do is to make sure they're clear on the return. Because again, when we go to sales sort of things and people are trying to sell us technology, oh, you're going to bring in all this revenue. A lot of it's untested and unproven. And so, you know, we have to be cautious. So my recommendation would be to not just look at what a salesperson is telling you that, oh, this is going to, you know, yes, this costs $200,000, but you're going to make up for that in the first year. Actually doing the math on it. And so what I do is like, unless I can get a return, a significant return on the investment um, and not just for pay for itself, um, then I'm not going down that path. Um, cause again, you know, cause I think that's where we can often, and I've gotten into those traps, the technology traps where I've invested in things. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not only didn't give a return, but it was actually a loss. And it's, and, and that doesn't even include the time loss, you know, the, the amount of energy and focus, you know, the amount of training you put your staff through. And, and so a lot of times, um, I think just kind of doing the math on it and, and being like, okay, well, if this technology is going to cost a hundred thousand and, you know, so I'll use, let's say, you know, uh, a Cerec machine as an example. Um, so what you want to do is, is sort of run the math on it and say, okay, well, if, if my monthly payments are going to be 3,500, so I would need to do, you know, 10, you know, crowns in house um, just to sort of break even on, on, on the material cost and that, and so for it to be worthwhile, maybe I need to do 20. So then you would look at your practice and say, okay, well, number one, uh, do we have, are we doing that many crowns per month? And so if you're already not at that point, you know, um, if you haven't sort of developed a skill set to, to um, present cases where people accept crowns and things like that, the CEREC is not going to magically, you know, take you from 10 crowns to 20 crowns. And so it's kind of doing that sort of math. And then if it does, if it makes sense and it's going to give you a good return, then, then you make that call. But I think a lot of times the trap we fall into is like we, we make assumptions that somehow it's going to be this magic bullet that it's going to all of a sudden drive all this revenue. And frankly, it, it doesn't. It's a tool um, that can elevate the experience and, um, and, and those sort of things, but not necessarily drive extra revenue. So the revenue piece, I think, has to be, has to make sense before we make that investment. So, and really, I think, you know, as you mentioned, it's really about being intentional and knowing where you're at with your practice, as well as your people and your patients. So, because I, th I think to your point too, you could spend, you if you had the means to, you could spend all this money on technology and do all these things, but it's really not going to make a difference if it's not intentional and in relation to your practice. Right. Yeah. And, and, and there's also, you know, the, um, I think the thing that also needs to be factored in is not just the direct cost, but also the opportunity cost. And what I mean by that is, so let's say that I invest 150,000 on, on, let's say, again, I'll use the CEREC machine again. There's a lot of benefits of the CEREC, so it's not a knock on CEREC. I'm just saying, just using that as that's a very common big technology <laughs> sort of purchase. So if I'm going to spend 150000 on that and I determine that I break even on it, so let's say I do the math and it's like it's going to be a break even, it's not really break even in the sense that I'm going to have to spend hours training myself 
and my team on it. So that's, you know, lost productivity time. But also the other aspect of it is, okay, if I put that money into marketing, what is the return going to be on that? And it'll probably be a much greater return. And so it's, it's about, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, these the resources, the limited resources that we have, that we're allocating it to get the maximum benefits. And it kind of goes back to the concept of the 80-20 principle. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but, you know, it's really putting your, you know, these limited resources that we have into the 20% things and activities that will give us the 80% results. And if that technology is not going to create those kind of results, um, then that's not where is the best place. But in, in many cases, uh, like digital x-rays and technology, you know, the the return on that in terms of the patient education and the impact and stuff like that, you make the determination that, hey, yeah, that's going to be a huge return on that, you know, and, and that's a good area for me to invest. And for every person, it's different, you know, and so every doctor has to make that assessment, uh, taking the full sort of scope of things into account. So, and so for you, besides technology, what else has helped you elevate your patient experience? So um, I would say the biggest one is really just focusing on, on um, customer service. And so that's, that, that's one of the things that I, that I did learn through Scheduling Institute, this idea of really focusing on the patient experience and investing in the patient experience. So, you know, we do sort of uh, new patient gifts for uh, all our new patients. We do patient gift days for our patients. So again, we're trying to create this experience. You know, we've ensure that we have TVs on the ceilings for all our patients uh, with Netflix subscriptions. Um, so we do patient appreciation events as well. So we'll, you know, um, typically uh, twice a year, we'll rent out a whole movie theater and we'll invite our patients with their families to come. Um, so all of these things to kind of really, you know, accentuate that experience um, in terms of how they interact with us, but also within the office. So we have a comfort menu. So with the comfort menu, we can, you know, they can choose a warm blanket or, you know, we have noise canceling headphones and, and all these sort of things to make that whole patient experience. So really focusing on that and, and putting our, putting resources towards that uh, to make that experience better. So, and I think too, um, you're, you're looking at the patient experience as like a long-term investment that it goes far beyond when they walk in your office and when they leave, right. With your customer appreciation and even like the gifts, right. Because they get, they're not going to just use the gifts inside your office. They're going to take that home or use it. And so I think, I think when, with for our listeners, it's seeing that, you know, you do what you do when they're in the chair, when they're in the office, but how do you extend that outside, right? Because that's ultimately what's going to keep them coming back. At least I would assume so. <laughs> it's, it's a big part of it. So, you know, the full experience is part of it. And so, you know, it's, um, you know, you might be the best dentist, you know, clinically, but if the patient doesn't perceive a certain degree of warmth from the whole experience, from the whole team. And so this is where a culture is a huge part of that. And so, this is why people over profits is actually really important uh, because, you know, when you create, when you focus on, on the people and, and you take care of your people and you, you create opportunities for them to grow and opportunities for them to, to work in a, an environment that isn't, you know, cortisol filled with stress all the time where you're, you know, you're treating them like family, they will naturally be happy in the, in, in the work environment and, and people can pick up on that interaction. 
and that they also, you know, how they relate to patients is affected by how they feel about work. And so all of that, you know, um, contributes to the patient's experience. So it, it all kind of ties together. You know, the, the people of profits contributes to the culture, which contributes to the patient experience, which then ultimately contributes to the, um, the success of the practice, because then those patients are more likely to come back. They're more likely to refer their neighbors and their coworkers because they had this great experience. So when you mentioned the, the culture that you create within your practice, when you're hiring people or bringing them on, are there specific qualities that you look for that, that you know will help contribute to the culture that you are fostering in your practice? Absolutely. So, you know, um, you know, basic skill set is, is always a given. Um, and so most people have those, you know, that are applying will have certain qualifications. So what I found is whether someone becomes a good long-term fit or not, in a small percentage of cases, it might just be that their skill set, you know, they're, they're just not competent enough. But I find that that's the minority of the cases that don't work out. The majority of the cases is it, that they're not a good cultural fit. And what I mean by that is that they, so what we look for is, and it's hard to always decipher this from the, um, from the interview, but you try to glean as much of this kind of information as you can. Um, but it's basically the alignment with the core values. So, you know, for us, the core values are trust, integrity, kindness, excellence, and customer service. And so, you know, if the person comes in and, and, and this is where references also helps too. So if I'm calling a reference and they talk about how, yeah, they just didn't get along with people because they're often, you know, short with people. Well, that doesn't align with the core value of kindness, because again, that's something we want to make sure we're displaying to our patients and to each other. And so that's where it helps sort of filter out some of those individuals. We also really talk about the things that we do, the missions that we're, you know, the, our long-term vision, the free days of dentistry that we do. And so as part of that presentation, we kind of look for cues as to whether that, that attracts it. So what I find is that people that are attracted to those things are super eager. They're like, they really want to kind of work with us. And then the others that aren't attracted to that, they may not show as much interest. So to a certain degree, as you build that culture and as you really focus on your core values and you stay true to them consistently, what happens is that you start to attract those individuals and you start to get referrals from staff members as well, like referring so other family or friends to come and work for you. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. I, I was just kind of re going to reiterate what you're saying is that, and it goes back to your comment too, when we were talking about um, starting out with people for profit is having a vision right? So the same thing when you're hiring people is knowing what your core values are and what you're looking for. Um, so as you're assessing these candidates, you can see that. So it's not that you're going to just, you know, clear someone off because they, maybe they're not super bubbly and, you know, right on the ball at the interview, but knowing how, you know, Hey, do they align with these in the, in their own personality and way versus just going into an interview and being like, Oh yeah. Like we just need someone at the front desk. Like we'll just take anyone. Well, is anyone just going to end up staying the whole time and being a good fit? Sorry, you were going to say. Yeah, hundred percent, and and that's and that's often the trap that, especially during this time with the challenges of of, of shortage of, of of individuals that can work in those fields, it's really tempting to to jump at at the next warm body, and that's always a balancing act because sometimes you just you have to have it. You can't function 
function without it. And, and you know, like you've got to pay bills. Um, but then there's always a downside to that where it can start to harm the culture and it can start to, you know, impact patients and things like that. So that's always a, a balancing act. And, um, but I think that, like you said, you know, the clearer you are on your vision and, and what your core values are, the easier it is to number one, um, you know, find those people like, you know, you'll attract those people more, I find. Um, and then you can also more quickly determine if someone is going to be a good long-term fit or not. So, so staying consistent and staying true to your values and what you set forth is really, it's going to help you find and attract like, like-minded like individuals who are going to help embrace and foster and continue to lift up your patients in the culture that you want. hundred percent. It sort of almost becomes like a flywheel, you know, like when you, you know, initially to get a flywheel going, it takes a lot of effort and you just got to keep pushing and pushing and it hardly moves. Um, and that's kind of culture is, is like that in many respects. Like when you start to build that culture, you're initially establishing the core values and you're trying to get people aligned and at first it's hard and, but as you kind of get a little bit of momentum, it makes it a little easier. And then once it kind of gets going and then just a little bit of effort kind of keeps it going. And that's kind of, you know, how culture works too. Initially it's a lot of, it's hard, but then once you kind of really stay consistent, um, it just, it keeps itself going to a certain degree. So it was really funny when you were giving that analogy, <laughs> it made me think of churning butter, right? So I think, Anyone who's never churned butter before, it's going to take them a long time, right? But as they slowly have continued to do it and do it, by the, by the end of it, if they've stayed with it and consistent, they could probably turn milk to butter in about 15, 20 minutes. They're like, they've just got it down, you know, but it's it's hard work and you, you got to stay at it. You can't just like, you know, churn, 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 and then walk away. It's like, no, you, you got to keep at it until... <laughs> solidifies. I come up with the most random <laughs> things in my mind that helps me connect ideas, but, but I but thought I it love, was worth sharing. <laughs> I love that analogy because uh, that, that's, a, that's a perfect example because again, I've, I, I haven't churned butter myself, but I imagine initially it's really hard and you just got to keep at it. And then it, it gets easier with time. Is that correct? Yes. So that's I've perfect. Done it so once that's a perfect, on a field trip. <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect analogy because that's exactly what it's like with culture you know, and, and trying to get into that mode because initially it's hard. It's a lot of hard work, uh, but it just, it does get easier as you get that momentum. Yeah. Which I think is great for our listeners too. Cause I'm, I think there's a lot of people out there that are trying to incorporate all these different ideas to be running the best practice that they can and have the best experience for their people, but it can feel really overwhelming to start out or when they are, it just seems, you know, you're not going to necessarily see immediate results overnight that all of these things that we talk about and things that we talk about today do take time, but it requires the work and the consistency and effort to see that over time. So, cause if you're not, then you're not going to gain anything from it. It's just, you did it that one time and you know, there's nothing to show for it that it, these are long-term investments that we have to make. Absolutely. And that's, that's a perfect way of, of putting it. It's uh, consistency and perseverance is what creates the results. There's no quick fixes, unfortunately. Perfect. Yeah. No quick fixes, guys. It's going to be okay though. Put in the time and effort and it will be fruitful. Well, we are almost out of time, but we like to leave listeners with a motivational tip. 
If you will. So if you could have listeners take one page out of your playbook of success, what would it be? I would say that never stop learning. Never stop learning. Well, I think learning doesn't, learning never stops, right? Yeah. So I think, (laughs) I guess maybe adding to that would be create an intentional plan to learn something new every, every month, like an intentional plan, not just, oh, well, this thing showed up and you happen to learn it just by osmosis, but like create a plan that you want to learn something new every month and just consistently do that year in, year out, and you'd be shocked at the results. So be intentional and never stop learning. All right. Well, that is a wrap for today. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Yazdani. And thank you to everyone listening. Don't forget to join the Happy Practice Playbook Facebook group, where we'll be discussing this topic more and sharing other helpful resources to help you keep your people happy. And as always, I'll be posting to get all of your tips and tricks as well. If you like what you heard today, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on the next episode. We hope you'll join us next time. It's your girl, Mo Jones.